So welcome to In the Lap of the Pods Queen podcast. We've got Paul, Joe, myself, David, and we also have another David, a very, very funny and intelligent man, and David Quantic. How are you doing? Hi, everybody. Lovely to be here. Can't wait. <laughs> neither can we, neither can we. Um, so, David, I mean, you know, obviously this is the bit where we blow a bit of smoke up your ass and say how, how much we've enjoyed your writing um, and you know, the thick of it, you know, Veep, um, you know, Jam, all these um, uh, shows we've absolutely, you know, yep. grew up with and, and absolutely loved. So uh, thank you, <laughs> first and foremost, right. for that. Just for yeah, that. It wasn't me, but thank you. I I, I worked on them, yeah. There was, <laughs> once, there was once a News of the World article which said that I was the creator of Brass Eye. Chris Morris was a bit annoyed about that. So. <laughs> uh. I, wasn't, I didn't create anything. <laughs> well, but listen, um, you know, your material's in there and, and we love it also. Um, and I'm, you know, we were just talking about uh, before you come on air, um, I think Paul's been uh, reading a couple of your books. I'm halfway through Ricky Sand just now. And, oh, great. And, Thank you. And really enjoying it. Um, um, and then and talking to Joe about it there. And I think Joe's going to pick the, pick the book up and he's, he's pretty yeah. interested. So, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, really, really, really pleased to be speaking to you. But obviously, being a Queen podcast, <laughs> mm. And uh, <laughs> the things you've said about Queen, I thought we might we might find this find this quite interesting. So, um, um, I think this started off then when um, I think we we'd mentioned a tweet about uh, Brian getting his his um, his uh, knighthood, um, and and it was really cool because you said first Queen released Hot Space, we said nothing. Then Queen released Jazz, and we said nothing. Then released a kind of magic, we said nothing. Then they announced we will rock you the musical, and still we said nothing. Then Brian May was knighted, and we all got huffy. <laughs> so, uh, so that was really cool. And and just first of all, it's like oh, we've been seen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, David's tweeted it, uh, quote tweeted this. But I think um, I think what we came back with was yeah, we talked about all that stuff um, because the whole nature of our podcast is to basically yeah, we're Queen fans, massive Queen fans. But yeah, we kind of we kind of see the shit as well. But I think the thing that alarmed me and I, and given that you know you're a you know you like to be satirical um someone said what no the miracle i think it was leslie on twitter and you said i like that one that, yeah. was, the most that was the most alarming thing for us because mm. was it yeah, the miracle so, was it the miracle or innuendo hopefully it was innuendo. <laughs> but yeah the, yeah the miracle that was that was a bit alarming <laughs> wow i like a bit of pop music <laughs> I mean, I particularly like Innuendo. That's the last one that Freddie's present for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah. indeed, yeah. Mm-hmm. The full album or the, the song or, you know, or the... The album, the album's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. definitely. And obviously it's very emotional as well. Indeed. Well, there, there was when you said The Miracle, because that's one that, you know, we it's probably our, our least favourite Queen album. We think it's absolutely abysmal. So, um, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> harsh. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing about Queen, like them or hate them, there's so much going on, I'm just looking up the miracle now because it's like, do I know it? <laughs> Try to um, remind, remind yourself. 
Well, such uh, such classics as the Invisible Man on there. So <laughs> there's a kind of rule if you if you've got an album with a song on it called The Invisible Man, you're in trouble. It's just Absolutely. one of those things you can't talk about. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. It turns out I have no memory of the miracle. Um, uh, it's probably just Lucky being you. nice. But there we go. I've accidentally <laughs> voted for the worst Queen song. But you know, every vote counts. <laughs> Excellent. So I suppose uh, for you then, uh, David. Um, obviously, we we know you. You know you were writing for NME for so many years, um, um, and you know speaking to various artists and uh, bands through the years. Um, but I suppose when someone mentions, if someone mentions Queen to you, what kind of feelings and thoughts does that conjure up for yourself? What what does that mean to you? Well, it means well, it's sort of two separate things. One is that. As you probably know, I went to Hungary to see Queen for the NME and ended up going to have dinner with Freddie Mercury, which is um, awesome, extraordinary. And I really like liked Freddie Mercury. I thought he was an amazing person. You know, I've met some right tossers in my time, and <laughs> I just thought Freddie Mercury was a was amazing. He was charming and funny and smart and real gent. I, re- I like Brian May as well. But- Oh, he's a bit more like your nan, but you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like Queen. Roger Taylor is. I mean, that that flipping video for "I Want to Break Free" is pretty accurate. Roger Taylor is an eighteen-year-old girl who's a bit naughty. Brilliant. John Deacon is a statue. He's a silent <laughs> man. He's faster, and yeah. So that's that's my first thing is thinking, and, and you know, I've told this story so often that it's. I don't know. It's like impossible to tell but the other thing is that for me queen are one of those bands that i have a theory about a certain kind of band i don't know how to put it into whereas except to say that there are certain bands you only need two records by one is the greatest hits and the other (laughs) is a particular album like fleetwood mac you need the greatest hits you need rumors elo you need i would say out of the blue and you need the greatest hits and with queen i can't quite decide which album it is it's probably a night at the opera but, you know, for somebody younger, it might be a different one. But yeah, yeah. I would probably pick Innuendo and The Greatest Hits Volume 1. Ah, mm-hmm. good, cho- good choices, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's that's. it. I mean, because um, you, you talked about, obviously you talked about Budapest there, and you talked about, um, I think you went to see them in Newcastle as well, I seem to see. Yeah, that that's correct? right. Yeah, yeah. I've seen them twice. Yeah, on that tour. Yeah. Um, it was it was quite funny because I, I just just looking at some of your tweets on that one, I think just speaking to people, you were saying that the you know um, you said it was both, uh, and one tweet you said it was fun, and another, another tweet you said it was shit, and I yeah. thought that kind of sums up the magic tour for us. To I honest. totally, totally. <laughs> um, it's, it's the, the you know when we look at footage, well, we've actually never experienced Queen live ourselves, um, but um, we look at the footage of that tour and how they played and the set list and how it looked. It, it just, um, yeah, it just it's just the worst, the worst possible example of Queen Life for us, you know. And uh, but um, how was that? I mean, how is how is that for you? Was was there anything interesting come out of those those gigs? I know, obviously, done it with Freddie's pretty bloody special, you know. I mean, I don't remember the gigs very well because they get blurred. I've seen the show on telly, so it's all a bit blurred. What I do remember sure. is that well, they had status quo supporting in Newcastle, who I'd never seen and enjoyed that. But in Budapest, they had a local artist who was kind of local artist. But his encore, for reasons I've never understood, was with a 24-piece female choir in peasant costume singing Honky Tonk Women. 
<laughs> and I remember that more than anything else. I don't remember the gig. I mean, the thing is with the gigs, right? You know, I'd heard the Queen live album, Live Killers, and things like And it wasn't that different, you know, because yeah. Queen pretty much was set in their ways. They did Bright, Brighton Rock, you know, and Brian made all this set piece. Yeah, yeah. And they probably did... You know, I mean, you would know better than me. They probably did. It's a kind of magic and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good show. It's obviously the Fred, and mostly you just remember Freddie Mercury. You know, he yeah. was giving it his all, and he had his crown and the sportswear era and all that kind of thing. So I wouldn't say that I was witnessing Queen at their best yeah, as yeah, a live yeah. act. I do remember weirdly other occasions. Yeah, we will rock you. I had to see that. That was horrific. And <laughs> I also remember going to see. Going to the Royal Opera House to the launch of Barcelona, where ah, Frank Sidebottom cool. went and, and spoke to Freddie Mercury, which is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. <laughs> Freddie Mercury was confused, I think, by Frank. <laughs> Perfectly they put. Were two opposite ends of the pop spectrum, to say the least. <laughs> Excellent. So, so when you were covering, were you were you were you actually reviewing the gigs, or were you review on tour with Queen at that point, or was was that well, a piece you were doing for NME or, at that point? It was a bit. I'm not quite sure why I was taken to see Queen in Newcastle, but I think the idea was that they, you know, so I was going to go and see them in Budapest, and that was a big thing. Uh -huh. um, so I think they just said we might as well come to Newcastle first, you know, get a flavour of the band, as it were, because it was the NME. You know, we were at the height of. C86, we were at the height of indie music then, you know, with yeah. a bit of hip-hop thrown in. Queen, we were very like, oh, you know, Queen are terrible, Queen have played Sun City, Queen are old yeah. 70s rockers, Queen are a joke, that kind of thing. They were kind of the polar opposite of what the enemy was. Um, so, anyway, so I went to Budapest to do the live show as an event and met, you know, and then Freddie Mercury came up to me at a party and said, why are you telling people I won't talk to the enemy? I was terrified. I was like 25 <laughs> years old. And so the only, you know, I'd met like members of Swell Maps at this point. I'd met very few <laughs> worldwide global rock stars. So we ended up going to dinner and that was a bizarre but excellent experience. And talking to Freddie Mercury in the limo with Mary and he was like, you're right, we should meet the press. And he had a barbecue in his room. I'd never met anyone who had a barbecue <laughs> in their bedroom before. <laughs> But he had like a, a cordon bleu. This was Hungary under communism. He had a cordon bleu chef and a room big enough to have a barbecue for the European press. Holy shit. And it was just lovely. He was just lovely. Roger Taylor at dinner told me some dodgy jokes. So John Deacon <laughs> didn't talk to anyone. Brian May was very friendly, but he was so friendly that me and my journalist friends thought he was over-friendly and just ignored him. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's exactly what you would imagine every one of those people to be like real life is fucking spot on like well i mean you know that's the definite i mean i'm not a queen fan but i have to say they are a great band in many senses and one of the senses is the fact that they're a proper band and they're all individuals like they're all cartoon characters like the beatles were or the rolling stones yeah, were yeah. Mm -hmm. you know if you did you could do queen lego and you'd know who they all were you could do a simpsons yeah. episode you know who they were mm. and yeah that was that's part of the appeal as well so yeah I like Brian May. Years later, I made a radio pilot and Anita Dot, and it was a terrible show, and I was acting in it, and I can't act. And <laughs> Anita Dobson was in it, and she came up to me. She said, you're very generous, which meant that basically I was desperate to get other people to do the jokes. 
Um, <laughs> and what was really weird about it was, of course, because Anita Dobson was in it, Brian May came. And I'm probably one of the few people in the world who's been to see Queen and then had Brian May come to see me. <laughs> if he remembered my review of We Will Rock You, he didn't say anything. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Brilliant. I was bricking it. Oh, I can only imagine the horror. Well, oh, I mean, we, we haven't had the pleasure of seeing uh, We Will Rock You. No. Really? So, is there, you've never seen is there, are there any recordings of it or videos? Well, maybe oh, just the, the bits that they showed on news footage and things like that, but no, I never experienced the, the, the show. <laughs> It's weird. I mean, it's one of the first. It's one of the first rock musicals where you you've got the weird thing of seeing songs you associate with a band sung by actors, ah, yeah. and it's just kind of strange, mm-hmm. you know, because you just think of Freddie Mercury and doing, and all these songs are being done by actors and dancers, and it was. It's an awful script, which is not Queen's fault. It's a Ben Elton script, and it's really <laughs> yeah. lazy, and it's full of like sort of. Uh, musical. This is a musical, art musical, stupid jokes. And the weirdest thing for me was that when I went to see the press preview, they hadn't found a way to get Bohemian Rhapsody into it, and they stuck it on the end. But you're like, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody is literally a story. Yeah, and exactly. It's literally I... got a plot in it. It's got a narrative. Yeah. 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 Why didn't you make a movie of that? I mean, a musical of that. But it's like at the end of the show. Everything's resolved and tied up. Then Nigel Planer, who plays this old hippie character, just goes, let's have a dance. And they sing Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's like, great. And the audience go, oh, oh happily. But it's that sounds nonsense. So oh, that's, yeah, right, okay. Aye. Wow. Aye. I actually want to see it now. Just, just, I, I just, I need to feel this pain. There's something about that. that There's got to be some of it on YouTube, don't man. Yeah, yeah. I look, there will be somewhere. I would imagine. I mean, we maybe need to do a podcast on this uh, at some point. Just, I think you should do. We'll get you back on for that as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to go and see it. I had to go and see it, and oh god, the Dominion Theatre wasn't it? It was the the Dominion Theatre, which I lived near at the time, and they had that golden statue of Freddie Mercury. It looked like Vivian Stanchel hailing a cab. And it was there the whole time I lived in that flat. And I was so desperate to for the musical to end before I moved, but it didn't. So the musical won. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but, um, I, but I'm talking about the musical. I, mem- I remember Nigel, Nigel Planer talking about it uh, when De Niro got involved. And I think it was oh, actually, they yeah. put some money into it or something. Oh, wow. And, and um, he was uh, he was sitting in the, in the rehearsals, and Nigel Planer said, "What what what do you think uh, De Niro thought?" And Nigel Planer said, "I think he was pissing himself inside." You know, he was just like, you know watching the right. rehearsals, and I thought that's brilliant. Even Nigel Planer's like, "Look, it's a check," <laughs> you know. Actually, I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about Robert De Niro's musical taste, but I can't imagine it extends to. Musical versions of Queen's songs. No, uh, it's, a weird, it's a weird match. It's a weird. I think uh, it was his, his Tribeca thing, his company, his production company. I think it was just more to do with that than him having just any any interest in Queen. Aye, he's, he's seen the dollar signs or the uh, the pound signs. I think that was yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't invite Robert De Niro to any show of mine because <laughs> you just he might make the Robert De Niro face. Uh, exactly. Aye, <laughs> and he'd be very sad. It just never looks. It just never looks happy, De Niro. 
avant. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And when he's when he's playing a happy person in a comedy, he looks like he's taken a vast amount of drugs and is about to go mental with a chainsaw. <laughs> it looks totally. It looks totally forced. <laughs> it's like when he's in Cape Fear. He just you know he's like meet the parents. It's the same character. He's going to kill Ben Stiller with a chainsaw. And he acts the same uh, in both. um uh well it's it's quite funny because i mean uh, you know we're talking about the musical and things like that um and i think that's the that's the thing i mean we we get we get a bit of bit of grief because you know we we put the boot in um quite a lot i mean basically everything since 1991 basically since freddie died i made decision you know roger and brian and and till much lesser extent john have made you know we've (laughs) there's been nothing that's that's been of interest absolutely nothing um but um but the the movie, man. Um, did 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 you watch that? Did you have to? Did 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 you go see that? Did you were you at any press screenings or anything like that? I know you're not necessarily doing press these these as much. Sorry, but we, we, oh God, the movie, the, the um, movie, yeah, the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. I was going. I I haven't. I keep meaning to. Um, but I think what happened was I saw the Elton John one. I went to the cinema for some mm-hmm. reason. I don't know why I say for some reason, but I went to it and it was good. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> it. it was good and Blokey yeah. was good. And yeah, yeah, was very good. Then I started reading about it and how, you know, Dexter was it Dexter Fletcher came in at the end of the Queen movie? At the end of that, yeah. Yeah. They didn't like his ideas anyway, but he's supposed to be the reason that it's good at all. And I just thought, well, I quite like the Elton John movie, but if the Queen one is like a crap version of the Elton John movie, I'm not sure I want to and it there used to be a sort of joke with music journalists. There was a famous one. was like, there's a Beach Boys biopic. There's a scene where, I don't know, Mike Love says to Brian Wilson, the people playing them, gee, Brian, if we could combine my love of rock and roll with your love of harmonies, we could have ourselves a sound. And, it's you know, it's that kind of film where, that, that's what it yeah, looked like, yeah, kind yeah. of film where people say things like, you know, Wow, John Lennon, be careful. Someone might shoot you if you keep saying Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's I mean we, we are we are you know we were, we haven't done a podcast on the movie and I think um some of the listeners have been asking us to do it because they know what we're likely to say about it. But um but yeah, we we, we think it's atrocious and Aye, it's um, fucking awful in, in so many ways. But um but it's, it's strange you're saying that about you know uh the Beach Boys thing there. Because um, there is a scene where Freddie basically gives the, the mission statement of the band to a, a record executive, and it is just so fucking on the nose. It's just, it's, it's, you know, and and that's the movie. It's just it's so bad. Um, and and I, you know, I think it's kind of the film's, you know, made for base level Queen fans. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not been made for the real fans at all, in my opinion, anyway. But that's the thing that it was about the musical that, you know, I would just watch literally living near, I would watch the coaches pull up and watch the, and without, you know, being rude to people who are not rock fans, you would just think these are not people who would go and see Queen. These are not people who would buy Queen records or, you know, they're certainly not people who would collect Queen records. And it's that strange sort of crossover of making it palatable. As you say, you know, the film is not, it's not for the base Queen. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. And you kind of think with Elton John, you understand it because, all due respect, um, Elton John's got that weird kind of broad fan base. Yeah, totally. Where, you know, he's yeah. like yeah. pop. But we, I don't know, it's just bizarre. And there's something about the Queen, the continuance of the Queen 
um, estate, if you like. I can understand them touring with whoever it is this week. That seems fine. <laughs> they love playing. They want to play the songs, all that, and none of them are Freddie Mercury. But this yeah. kind of, like, let's do a music. It's like, you know, the only thing worse is Kiss with Gene Simmons with his Kiss lunchboxes and his Kiss suppositories yeah. and his Kiss whatever <laughs> appearances in Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> Although they're all, all those things are better than actual Kiss, but even so, <laughs> absolutely, I will get hundred percent right there. <laughs> and it, it's just strange that I don't know. Maybe it's because they're all still alive, you know, with the Beatles, you know. So, oh, a new box set. Well, fair enough, you know. But with Queen, it's like surely you don't need the money. It's no, not helping exactly. the legacy. Exactly. No, no. And I think that's what makes them such an easy target. I mean, if I. I think if if I was twenty years younger, um, and you know, let's say I'm in my early twenties, and you know, I grew up and at that period when Freddie died and 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 seen the, I I probably wouldn't have. It probably took me a lot to actually delve into Queen's music based on just what happened the last. You know, to convince Aye, me totally. to go any further mm. than 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 you know what I'd seen and what I'd heard. So they are such an and and <laughs> we're really resentful of 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 that. Um, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's like Roger says. Roger says it's all a fucking legacy. We'll do whatever the fuck we want with it, and that's true. That's right. Um, no one's arguing, but it's, it's bad choices, you know. And and I think that's what that's what just grinds our gears. It's just like it's it's the, the, the there seems to be two two versions of Queen out there. The one that actually actually did create some some brilliant music, and the other yeah. one that is just a, a commodity, you know. Yeah, totally. and, and, no, and and the thing is, Queen were you know what we all agree, Queen were capitalists even oh, from the start. They wanted absolutely. to make money. They wanted to be the biggest and the the best and all this kind of stuff. That arrogance was there from the start, you know. And and um, you know, so that so and you know, the one even playing Sun City, you know, we could you could point to Sun City, which was a fucking ridiculous decision, and they did it purely for money. Um, but I mean, it's it's, it's almost people say, "Oh, they kind of eighties, they kind of lost their way." But I would say, even in the seventies, they were heading late seventies, they were heading into that direction. And even though the music was a little better, though, I, <laughs> I think that's why you forgave them a little bit because the tunes were better, you know. But um, I don't I don't know where I'm going with this point. But anyway, that's. <laughs> no, I mean, one thing about Queen for me, with a lot of the a lot of the big bands at last, whether it's Pink Floyd with Dark Side of the Moon or Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac, there's a certain kind of band that is able to adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Fleetwood Mac in 1968 is totally different to Fleetwood Mac in 1977. It's yeah, fairly totally. different. Pink yeah. Floyd, you know, I mean, flipping out, looking at the changes. And the thing about Queen, yeah. which they did brilliant, because they had, I think, you know, a distinctive front man and a, a distinctive guitar sound, they could... The period that I really heard Queen when I was really getting into music was sort of just after punk, when it seemed that every week they had a single in a different genre. You know, they'd have yeah, another one bites yeah. the dust. They'd have a crazy little thing called love. They'd have mm-hmm. whatever rock one was. They'd have the Flash Gordon thing. And that seemed fine to me, but I didn't think of them as a rock band. Mm-hmm. You couldn't imagine Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple or any of the other bands of that era doing that. Yep. You couldn't imagine Iron Maiden doing it later or Black Sabbath. And they, I always saw Queen as kind of a pop band who could be quite heavy at times. And I think that's why they lasted. I think, you know, uh, yep, yep. I think leaning into the eighties definitely it, it, it flipped. I think when they first started, they, they were they were kind of regarded as a heavy rock band, you know. But then, obviously, like yeah. you're saying, it does the perception of the band does start to kind of flip round about kind of nineteen eighty, and it becomes more pop than than rock. 
yeah, more, the, bit more about the anyway. Yeah, 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 absolutely, Joe. Yeah. And, and I think that was it. I mean, the Killer Queen was the, the turning point, really. They, they actually found they could actually write a really great pop song, and, and that was yeah. it. And then I think, I think that in the 70s, they actually wrote really, really well-crafted pop. And then mm. the time, yeah, as Joe's alluding to, when you get to the 80s, it's, it's a bit... So it's one or two gems, but it's, it's pretty much dialed in, you know. It's it's, it's very kind of um, watered down, and, and you know, they're Ch- barely in the studio together most of the time, you know. So Ch- just chasing the money, chasing fat, new fans, pop fans, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, fucking... it's also that thing that it happened to lots of different people. For some reason, I keep thinking of simple minds, but there comes a point when you listen to a record, you're thinking, this is good, but it could be anyone. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah I just totally. mentioned simple minds because, you know, they started off being quite weird. They were yeah, quite like, avant-garde and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah very yeah. avant-garde. Then they were sort of like, you could hear their influences. And then suddenly in the mid-80s, when I went bowling with my family at the weekend, and they were showing old videos. And there's Jim Kerr in this big leather coat, and he's got hair like John Bon Jovi. You think, I don't remember that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I meant to be a fan of like magazine and things like that, and it's bizarre. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Queen, you know, sort of something like It's a Kind of Magic, the song. Mm-hmm. So like that could pretty much be anybody at that particular yeah. point in history. I totally agree. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And yeah. I think that's the reason I like innuendo is I mean, obviously there's the emotional underpinning. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say it's the most heartfelt, obviously, set of lyrics that Freddie Mercury wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but the music is just fuck it, you know, let's be yeah. a slightly weird queen record. It sounds it, like Queen. It, it's more like the seventies yeah. era queen stuff, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. And it's, together, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and it's not innocent it's totally out of time there's nobody there's nobody else making records like that at this point yeah, yeah. i don't think anybody's got won the talent because obviously you had four individual members that wrote songs so um and obviously having the, the balls to be you know a lot of bands just stick to that one specific sound and don't deviate like aerosmith or something like that but queen i mean the bit of an anomaly that way that like you were you alluded, alluded to david about the the kind of like one song was in this genre, one song was in that genre. I, I can't really think of another band other than the Beatles that, that Beatles, really yeah, did that yeah. and, and got away with it. Successfully, so, anyway. So, yeah, successfully, yeah. Yeah. Maybe David, yeah, David Bowie would do it, but he'd sort of move about. Oh, yeah, of course. Mountain, but... yeah. Yeah. He'd have like more, he'd have like more like like a period though, like a full record yeah. that sounded that's, a, that's a good point, Joe. Actually, yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. song it to move, song sounding move different, from, yeah. yeah, one vibe to another, you know, in yeah. an arena, yeah, yeah. Uh, but as Queen do it, um, song to song, yeah, sort of Queen sounded like a jukebox sometimes, year by year. Yeah, and yeah. to go from you know, Bohemian Rhapsody to Crazy Little Thing Called Love to Radio Gaga is quite extreme. And also, mm-hmm. I just want to say, I'm a big Bowie fan. I just want to say yeah, kudos to Queen for Under Pressure is the weirdest number one record of all time. Absolutely. It makes no yeah. sense. Yeah. Totally. Love it. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't work, but it does. It's no, weird. It does I know, it's it. like, and what's it's mad, but, you know, someone sampled it because yeah. it's got that great hook on it. So Vinder Rice got a, a career out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, totally. I've heard a demo of Under Pressure, and it is, I'm sure you have, and it is nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just yeah. the weirdest record of all time. No, definitely. Totally. So what's your what's your favourite period of Bowie then, uh, David? What's my favourite what? Uh, period of the David Bowie then, what's your? Oh, I've got lots of different ones, but I really like the sort of weird Berlin stuff. I like the electronic yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, my favourite stuff, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm 61. That's kind of my age. Anything around the punk era that was yeah. a bit weird and wasn't Sham 69, I really like. Oh, no, I don't like yeah, 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 shooting and jumping. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
I think coming back to just um, I, I don't know what you know. Obviously, you uh, you know you saw Queen live a couple of times in the Magic Tour, um, um, and we've discussed you know where Queen were at, at that point. But I think coming back to the point about the the pop thing and all that, I think that was the one thing that even right up to I would say even the Hot Space Tour, which is obviously you know that album is what it is and all that. I think they 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 very much were a rock band live. You know, they, when they played mm-hmm. live, it was that that was a rock band. You know, even the pop mm-hmm. songs were rocked up and yep. you know they were fairly fairly kind of kind of. Um, so it's, it was weird. That it's, it's almost like they had all these these hit singles and <laughs> you know when but when they hit the stage, they kind of just they, they were. And I think that's 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 you know for. The, the one thing that we always say, David, is is I think sometimes the the point gets missed with Queen sometimes, and um, and the fact that, um, I mean, right up until probably the the Watts tour just before the Magic tour, Queen were just four guys on stage with a light rig. There was no hmm. gimmicks. There was nothing. There was no, you know, aye, it's no Pink Floyd. Do you know what I mean? But I've got the yeah, old, the, uh, yeah. It was just it was just a massive light rig and the, the amps and and the, the kit on stage, and they just they just went for it. But I think um, I think if you if you think of, again coming back to this point about what people's perception of Queen is, you'd think it was all the way the way their tour is now. When you see it, it's, that's Aye, that's what people board. have in their head about what what mm. Queen were life, and that's you know that's not not the case. But, but um, yeah, but, yeah, I mean when I, when I saw them, it was just them prowling about with the lights. Um, one thing I remember listening to the Radio One Roundtable Show when they would preview new releases, and they played a bit of Live Killers. And what the what the people on the show thought was hilarious, which is now quite common, was that because Queen quotes couldn't reproduce the backing vocals on Bohemian Rhapsody, they would play a tape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's a bit when these people are listening. You're listening to Radio One, listening to people talking about a record, and they're listening to a record where Queen are themselves and an audience listening to a tape. Of the backing <laughs> vocals. And now, yeah. obviously, sampling so on, it's a huge part of music. Yeah, yeah just everyone's in the audience listening to a tape of some of Bohemian Rhapsody. It's quite <laughs> it's bizarre. bizarre. So yeah, that was the state of technology. I think ELO had a, a spaceship. It wasn't really a spaceship that lowered down and then didn't know yeah. what to do with itself and went. <laughs> and Pink Floyd had their projections, which I believe are increasingly sophisticated now. Mm-hmm. But yeah. no, I imagine if I heard a Queen, if I heard Live Killers now, I'd probably think it sounded rough as anything. It does, yeah, it actually, yeah, does. It does in a good yeah. way though, in, in a really good cool. way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's quite, quite. It's not, it's not overproduced or anything, over polished. Right, but we're talking uh, which about is people. ironic, really, since Queen were known for that. Of all that. Yeah, 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 totally. But I think it's, I mean, even even at that, you know, we were talking about this recently, actually. Um, by the time they got to news of the world, obviously, punk explosion was, was, you know, you know, you were there, you, you know, um, David, um. Um, you know, it was pretty full on at that point, um, seventy seven, and and but that album is, I mean, it's there's very little harmonies on it, and it's it's very kind of stripped back, and it's, it's there's absolutely no no question that punk had you know hadn't affected them, you know, it was it, there's it, a, there's it definitely a, made them. There's a punk think. song on it. There's a fucking punk Gosh, song on it. Attack itself, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's angrier so, than any um, punk at that time, <laughs> which is <laughs> weird. What I find yeah. interesting is that people always say punk came along and swept away the dinosaur bands, but. What actually happened was the dinosaur bands adapted. They all yeah. went and got their hair cut, their beards mm-hmm. cut off. They all went and bought skinny ties and shirts yep. and ties because sure. at the same time as punk was New Wave, which was people yep. loved because yeah, it wasn't yeah, threatening. Yeah, it sounded like the 60s and it was sharp and catchy. Mm-hmm. And loads of people who could write songs were just like, oh, okay. So, you know, Queen dropped the epics, didn't do Bohemian Rhapsody, but did pop singles. Mm-hmm. 
you know, which were massively yeah, successful. Yeah. And Freddie Mercury, yeah. because obviously he had a, you know, an alt, should we say, an alternative lifestyle with access to a different culture, mm-hmm. you know, was kind of ahead of the curve on that because he was yeah. tapping into stuff that I don't know Roger Waters couldn't. Sorry, yeah, there's a yeah. horrible thought of Roger Waters in a sex dungeon, and I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> he would be he would be the guy overseeing the sex dungeon. He wouldn't be taking part. He'd just be looking at everybody and make sure he'd be the guy who'd get his, be given his money back and told to leave. Yeah, because it's too, <laughs> too, too, too fucking miserable. Oh, God, I wouldn't like to uh, I would not go anywhere with Roger Waters. I mean, he's a, a, a fucking amazing musician, but I not a not yeah, a cheery chap. Geez. No. Um, Actually, you you were you were talking about actually I meant to say at the time you were talking David Eller on about Kiss. Um, you know, um, you mentioned them, and funnily enough, I was reading an article that you wrote for MB today. Oh yeah. Um, when you when you interviewed Kiss, <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Hey, <laughs> I just... mean, people that one thing you when you pass the age of fifteen, you realise that not all the musicians you like or the music you like is made by people you're going to like, Absolutely. and a lot of the musicians you like make music you hate and gene simmons he i just sat down he's like so you're from the enemy i'm like yeah he goes what the fuck is wrong with you people fucking morrissey when i was a kid i used to go down to... it's a terrible accent i'm doing but basically, <laughs> when i used to go down to the store and buy the enemy rolling fucking stones man i'm fucking morrissey i just sat there just thought fair point i'm <laughs> 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 agreeing with you gene <laughs> yeah i was just totally with him he, and he yeah, I love meeting people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, then I had to go and see them play, and it was horrible. It was also <laughs> the No Makeup era, which was just weird. Oh, that would have been oh, yeah. like the early 90s or something like that? Yeah, it was like uh, four yeah. guys from The Sopranos. Dressed. <laughs> uh, are they all like no, gangsters, eh? <laughs> Paul Stanley actually does look like one of The Sopranos. He's kind of quite, looks like a bit like Stallone. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a long face. Yeah, he's yeah, got the kind yeah, of long he's face, got that so, yeah. meaty face, and he's got those kind of <laughs> eyes. meaty face. <laughs> Brilliant, <laughs> totally, yeah. man. So I suppose um, I, I think the, did I read the David the, the Buzzcocks or are they are they your they your favourite band or or one of them or? Yeah, they were just from that era. I really liked them. Uh-huh. It was yeah because they were a bit different. They were quite feminine. They were quite experimental. They wrote really good pop, and they weren't writing about yeah they did write about being but just the lyrics were different they were writing about relationships and being unhappy in love and i could identify with that and then in later years i got to meet pete shelley a few times and he was just very funny very mancunian a very dry person and yeah it was a real shame tragedy when he died but yeah buzzcocks one of my favorite bands and also it's a great way to annoy punk fans and just say oh don't like the clash don't like the jam you know, like meat and potatoes in a cafe, the sort of gravy and peas <laughs> in musical it's, terms. It's kind of weird yeah. because I, I, I'm I, exactly the same, I think. You're the same as well, David, and probably you, Paul. Like, the punk stuff that I like isn't the isn't like so the jam and, and, and things like that in The Clash. I, I tend to go more towards, like, kind of the... Like the I hate to say this, but you'll probably slag me off the exploited and, and things like that. I like the kind of more the more aggro type of this shit. Charge, you know, this charge and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that stuff's way too scary for me. I remember <laughs> you used to listen to John Peel, and it's like it made you feel instantly old because you remembered when the Ramones were the fastest band in the world, and then suddenly the discharge <laughs> comes. Like, you know, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Aye, aye. It's not for yeah. everybody. <laughs> I can see the Napalm Death t shirt there, and it's like, <laughs> well, that was just 
Yep, um, yep. I used to write with a guy called Stephen Wells. He had the albums, and we'd look oh, at the lyric yeah. sheets. It's like, no way are those the lyrics. Ah, you go second then. They're going off tape. It's like six columns of the lyrics there. And he just yeah. said, Spog. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that stuff, that is that is proper hardcore. And I can see how that fed into metal and how metal heads managed to like that sort of yeah. thing as well as metal. Was, I think it's great. Yeah, but it was nice. just insane but it just made me feel old and i was like 21 at the time so <laughs> I, I, yeah. seeing that obviously you were into punk stuff just a, a, something off the top of my head did you ever um be aware of the misfits at all at that time the the punk band they were yeah i was aware of them because they were obviously very photogenic they're the ones who dressed like clockwork orange yeah with the oh, they yeah, had kind of like yeah they had like, like, yeah, like, yeah. like yeah 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 I wasn't sure about them because it's weird because there were two kind. There was this sort of it was an orthodoxy, but it was kind. It was like if you bought the enemy, you buy the enemy, and you or you buy sounds. You wouldn't buy Melody Maker if you like punk. You listen to John Peel, and there were some bands that John Peel played, and some bands that John Peel didn't play. And I think the Misfits were kind of in that category. Right. right. I don't yeah, think they were kind of that kind of cool. Yeah, in I that mean, because I've never spoken to to anybody really that was you know a. Don't take this the wrong way. That was about back then. Do you know what I mean? That was yeah. in, the, in the scene. That I, I was because they're very. They're one of those bands that they found their audience later Much on later. and became yeah, became yeah. massive after the fact. But at the time, I was just curious to see if they were on your radar at all. You know what I mean? Even no, then. I mean there are quite a, and there are bands who become like that later, like the Cardiacs. For a yep, lot of people, yep, which yep. I I hated them. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're weird. They're really weird. They're hard to listen to. They're yeah. weird, and and it, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but it felt at the time that there was a kind of trying to be weird aspect about them, which may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the Misfits are just there's a whole lot of bands. I think Sounds like them. Sounds was a little bit more open minded in some ways. It was a bit less obsessed with the idea of cool, if I'm honest, as well. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, now I find it really interesting. You know, I would read a book about them. I find it really interesting bands who had their own world, who had their own fan base, who didn't fit in. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then somebody turns up, you know, I'm making this up, you know, Ed Sheeran turns up and says, oh, the Misfits were the greatest band of all time. And suddenly everyone yeah, gets yeah. into them. Yeah, yeah totally, like, totally. Like Metallica covering Budgie, which is one of my favourites. Yeah. I love Budgie. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, know. Budgie, yeah, yeah. Some guy in Wales sat there and he's, you know, in his semi-detached house, and suddenly he gets a check for two million dollars because Metallica had done one of his songs. <laughs> that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a that's a fucking great cover. That actually, they get it. They get it right. I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, the, the, the Misfits come back to the Misfits. Although this was not a Misfits podcast, but Metallica made, <laughs> made Metallica Metallica made them big. That was Metallica. Yeah. Yeah, Metallica wore they, their t-shirts and stuff, and they cover oh, right. their songs. Yep. Yeah. So it was Metallica, that, like you were saying, like the Ed Sheeran thing. He they put them forward, and as a result, mm. loads of people found out about them. Oh, I anyway. love that. I mean, I think that's great because I was I've just read a really good book about. I've seen it, Denim and Leather. It's an oral history of the new wave of British heavy metal. I, oh, yeah, I, I yeah. haven't, but yeah. I've, I actually have it, but I've not read it yet. But. Oh, it's great because one, it's an oral history, so there's no not much journalistic interference in it, mm-hmm. but it's very well edited. Two, it's really people are really honest. Yeah. Three, hilariously, every single band has a story where they 
put too much gunpowder in their pyrotechnics. <laughs> yeah. <during> their arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's the whole thing. It's Lars Ulrich in it, the drummer. It's just like going, yeah, there was this really rich kid with, from a Danish family who came yeah. to Europe and spent a million quid on albums and went back and yep, you know, no one knew everything. who the fuck yeah. he was and he'd stay on people's couches like Diamond Head and. Yep. Yeah, yep. I find that fascinating, you know, the Americans sort of rolling in like World War II and taking over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I suppose I'm um, just sticking with it, sticking with your your your, your music music journalism. Um, is there anything is that because obviously you you know when you started, obviously the, the punk thing was sort of dying down when you started writing yeah. the enemy, it was starting to kind of wane a little bit. Um, and then you were moving into you know, uh, I guess. Um, well, lots of different things, but I suppose you know you start to get into interviewing bands like indie bands and all that. The the, the, the kind of rise of indie music through the eighties and into the nineties and stuff. Um, and I remember it's quite interesting because through the nineties and my my older brother um, Brian, he was he was really into. He was he would bought he buy NME and he was into all the indie music, and it was really kind of interesting because I would I'd be reading Kerrang, <laughs> you know, he'd be reading NME and he'd read Kerrang too. He liked his metal as well, but. It was interesting all the gigs, and I was looking back at some of you the, the articles you were writing, and it was all the all the names were coming back to me, like Thousand Yard Stare and all these kind of things. Ping. And, <laughs> something's a ping and things like that, you know. So yeah, yeah, because I was things. I was getting into pop because I started reading Smash Hits, and I mm-hmm. didn't really like indie, and it just seemed to me sort of twee and mm-hmm. unimaginative. I, I mean, I've said this before, but Thousand Yard Stare were a big influence on me in that. On my 30th birthday, I went to Paris to interview Thousand Yard Stare. I don't know why. Somebody just thought, (laughs) and they were a perfectly good band and they were nice people, but they weren't that interesting to talk to. I remember the singer, who was a fine person, was telling me that he liked things like post boxes. And I just remember thinking, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) My job is writing down what other people say. When the person saying that is, I don't know, Freddie Mercury, that's fine. But when it's <laughs> an indie band from Penge or and I think that's when I started to change my life and start to um, get into writing comedy and think, because mm-hmm. music journalists are great, but in the end, a lot of music journalism is just, you're the bloke who goes like, you never guess what David Bowie said. Yeah. And now yeah. with the internet, people can find out what David Bowie said or whoever said yeah. without yeah. buying a music paper. Mm-hmm. But it was just that thing of constantly telling people what other people had said and describing records and describe it was just a bit wearing so yeah and the the rise of indie made me more and more depressed as well <laughs> i can see why <laughs> yeah. i mean I, I like i mean we all like the smiths uh, all three of us but i can i i can see it's a bit mopey <laughs> uh, the, 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 the thing that you wrote about morris i read that um <laughs> this week oh, as well cool. um um, you know about the you know the, the whole Jung and Jack thing and you know the, yeah, that's not going there. <laughs> that was, that oh, well, that. I missed this. What was this? What was that? <laughs> oh, I got I got sued by Morrissey. You um, got sued by you, Morrissey. Yeah, you can find out more about it online, but um, yeah, you might right. get sued as well. It was all very interesting, and yeah, it's kind of the sort of thing that people say a lot about Morrissey these days, and yeah. sometimes he sues people and sometimes he doesn't. But that was a sad. Yeah, it's just, it's strange. One of the weird things about being around long enough is that people either reveal their true colours or go mad. You, know, <laughs> you look at the yeah, internet yeah. world now, people like Russell Brand, who I'm not saying I ever liked Russell Brand, 
But, but yeah, he's really went off a cliff, hasn't yeah. he? He's, yeah, he's really gone down a particular special route. Yeah. <laughs> special. Is very special route. Do you think, is there something in the water? It's just bizarre, you know. It's a bit yeah. like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You turn around and your grand is suddenly going, of course, it's all aliens, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. I imagine your grandmother doing that. I think it's, uh, once you're exposed to a certain level of fame, if you're in it for too long, it really does start to fuck with you. I think you forget what it's like to be a normal human being. Do you know what I mean? Especially somebody yeah, like Russell Brand. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have... When I was a music journalist, you know, we were distant from it, but it was a totally coddled lifestyle. You'd get picked up by cars, you'd be given free drink and food, you'd yeah. be entertained every... And that's just the hangers-on, which is what music journalists are, you know, the sort of... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not parasitic, but yeah, kind of parasitic. And yeah. just to have... And I think about this, a lot of musicians... You know, they don't go to college or have jobs. The whole time they're teenagers, they're learning to play instruments, forming bands. When they're when their school friends are getting married and starting jobs, they're touring, even if they're not successful. Mm -hmm. They live in a kind of cocoon. I used to do various I used to have just jokes, you know, when it, none of which I can remember, fortunately, but it would just be, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, I think the world is flat. Oh, and what instrument do you play? <laughs> totally, it's like a it's like arrested development, and it is totally. As I, I mean, you know, I, I'm in a band myself, and I did do two years ago and stuff like that. And as it it's a it's a weird surreal world, and if you're in that from say the age of eighteen, which is the average age, like you know, if you look back, um, you know, if you're in that, if you're in that from the ages of eighteen, then you you're probably the same person you, you were. Then when you, by the time you get to fifty, if you've never had a break from that do you know what i mean and like you say yeah, all the ass yeah. kissing and molly coddling and i think that's yeah. where you get those rock star fucking yeah dates. i mean i never quite thought of it that but you go in at eight it's a bit like prison in a way yeah, I totally do. you go in when you're 17 and when you come out you're 52 and yeah you know you you're don't still probably to... still the same i don't know how to function outside in normal yeah, life you, it is i mean it's like you don't know how to pay the electricity bill yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I know. I actually know folk that are like that. I, but yeah. it's just you know the, the rock and roll cliche everyone used to say was like you know you go home, you drop your clothes on the floor, and your partner goes, "What are you doing?" Because <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. when you do it in a hotel, someone picks it up. Ah, yeah, 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 totally. Absolutely. When you were when you were actually doing music journalism, did did it at any point put you off music? Did did did, did you go? I just I just I just cannot be bothered with music anymore. No, um, it kept me going with music because I think when I was about 20, before before I started being a music journalist, I was like a lot of people slipping out the habits of, you know, buying NME, listening to John Peel, listening to the radio. When you live in that world, you swim in it, don't you, when you're a teenager? You're like, mm -hmm. music yeah. seems to come to you. You're not like someone who has the radio one on at work or in the yeah. car. Mm -hmm. You know, you you seek it out. And I think I was, if I'd had a, a normal job in my early 20s, I might have faded out of it. But music, becoming a music journalist, I just loved it. It's like, even now, you know, I write for like Record Collector and Classic Rock and I get a free CD. I'm like, yes. The fact that I can afford a 10 quid CD or, you know, a 90p download doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, look at this. I got I got the Motorhead album from 1978 reissued yeah. that I already own, but I'm still, still excited <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally, and that's that's a music lovers thing. That never that never yeah. leaves. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I've, I've had about a week lately when I've been a bit bored with rock music, but I'm coming back to it again. Yeah, yeah. I would hate. I like I love books and I like music, and those are sort of the two big things for me. 
I could live without television. I'd probably find it hard to live without films, but I wouldn't like to live without music. No, not at all. Um, actually, just uh, I'm kind of going all over the place here, David. Sorry, but um, actually coming back to your point when you actually were on tour uh, with Queen, you know, you went to Budapest shows and then Newcastle show. Um, was that one? Was, was that one in the office? It was like, who wants this? <laughs> I, yeah, I think it must have been. It was all a bit weird because it was. I mean, it all got blown up. Um, you know, it was just meant to be a live thing, and I was a bit annoyed because I was told later that you know. Oh, that somebody said, oh, Quandit probably didn't get the interview because he was pissed. And it's like, I was really annoyed because like, very Mercury wouldn't do an interview on tape. It was fair enough. So as soon as I got back to the hotel room, I dictated into my tape recorder everything that he'd said that I could remember. So, you know, from my point of view, I'd got a scoop and it should have been on the front cover because oh, Queen yeah. did not do interviews with the rock press, particularly in mm-hmm. Maine. And I'd got, you know, not much of an interview, but I'd got an interview with Freddie Mercury. Yeah, totally. So... I've completely forgotten your question, by the way. I'm still so angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was just really, um, was that was that one in the office where everyone says, oh, who wants the Queen fly thing? Yeah, that was, totally, <laughs> that was totally a snobbery about mainstream music, mm. which annoyed me because the 70s NMA that I'd remembered was the paper that would cover David Bowie and Roxy music, yeah. but, you know, would also cover pop music and was which I thought was really smart, was really open, whereas that I remember somebody at NME reviewing a Simply Red album and just going, I don't know what to do with this, and asking around the office, what should I say? And it's like, it's your fucking job. Well, yeah, you you know, be honest, I, be honest, I. Yeah. Yeah, but you should be able to write about Simply Red as well as about Nick Cave. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So, yeah, no, nobody really wanted to go and do Queen. Um, I think I was interested in doing Queen. I was certainly interested in a foreign trip. It was very exciting. Went out and bought a cardboard suitcase and everything. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> one. Um, I, cause that's, it's, that's quite interesting because I mean, I know, you know, Queen, you know, in the press, you know, they didn't, they didn't get on and, and stuff. So it's quite interesting that, you know, Freddie actually invited you along, you know, and, and was, thought, I mean, you know, so you must have had, you must have made an impression on him in some way, you know, because I, I think they were always pretty wary of, most press, well, the most story is just weird that I won't bore you with too much of it, but when it's British Embassy there, and there was a bunch of <laughs> teenagers there and they were like quite leery. Later turned out they'd been to Eton. They were from Eton, but they were like, oh, what are you doing here? Are you doing an interview? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not doing an interview because Freddie Mercury, the Queen, won't talk to the NMA. Mm-hmm. And obviously they had gone up to Freddie Mercury and said, you that? And this... So Freddie, the first thing Freddie Mercury said to me was, why are you telling people? And obviously that was the, he just thought, you know, I think I'll go and talk to him, wind him up, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, he wouldn't do an interview with a tape recorder, but he was quite happy to invite me. I think he just thought it would be nice to be friendly. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. It comes across that way. He really, it comes across a very genuine type of person. And especially- yeah, I think he was a, I think he was a good man. Yeah, you get that impression, but I don't think anybody has a, you know, a bad word really to say about him that I've, no, there aren't any nasty. There aren't, to my knowledge, any nasty Freddie Mercury stories. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's you lots would... of extreme stories about Freddie Mercury. But... <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You would think there would be though, wouldn't you? Because he, he's persona on stage, and I think he, he, you know, he alludes to that a lot in, in past interviews. Um, you know, people see him up there and they think he's very arrogant and stuff like that. And you see, so we think that people would think he would be like that, but it's, yeah. it's quite a well, quite an yeah. interesting dynamic that he, he was completely different off stage. Well, what I love about him was that. 
you know, at a time in history when being openly gay in that kind of band would not have really gone anywhere. Um, the persona he had was funny. He was like a Noel Coward type persona. He was a camp, wasn't really camp in the regular sense of it, but he was just witty. You know, that famous yeah, yeah. quote, like, oh, the Sid Vicious thing, Mr. Ferocious, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think yeah. he was a funny man. Yeah, yeah, and that's absolutely. surprisingly rare in rock music. Yeah, Alcus Roger Waters, for example, poor face. <laughs> oh, God. Roger Waters times. is a man who laughs at his own jokes because nobody else will. <laughs> I keep totally. There's something about his arrogance that I actually quite admire. Well, I mean, he's well, kind of I, lost the plot, yeah. uh, you know, in recent years, absolutely. But yeah, I like but, back um, and Putin. <laughs> oh, the well. fuck. There's yeah. something about people who think they're clever, but they're not as clever as they think they are. So they think everyone <laughs> yeah. else is stupid. Yeah. He's yeah. So if you disagree with them, you're stupid. It's mm -hmm. you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like depressing. <laughs> so I suppose on a, on a, a bit of a sadder note, staying with Freddie. Um, obviously, in '91 when Freddie dies, I mean, uh, you're still writing for Enemy at that time. Did 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 Enemy cover that in, in any way? Was there was that, or was that just like a, maybe a page on it or something? Or was it was? I don't recall. I mean, we would have the news section would have done it. The news section yeah. was always a bit independent of all the wars and all the tribal rivalries because they did just right. things that actually happened. Uh -huh. But it would have been kind of hypocritical since you know Queen were not part of the Enemy readership, sure yeah. interest the fan base. So we would have covered it in that way, and also we'd probably spent. Is this man a prat? That was a seventies famous enemy headline, yeah. I believe. Yeah, Nick Kent yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the enemy yeah. had been taking the piss out of Freddie Mercury and Queen for about twenty <laughs> years at this point. I yeah, totally since the start. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it a good was point. a brilliant cartoon, by the way. That you know Arthur Matthews, who co-wrote Father yeah. Ted. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, he used to have a cartoon in the enemy called Doctor Crawshark, which was writ was drawn in the style of an eighteenth century political cartoon. They were insane. They were just people with tiny speech bubbles. And he did a really cruel but brilliant cartoon, which was Freddie Mercury ascending to heaven in an 18th century balloon. He's going like, goodbye, goodbye. And people <laughs> in the crowd were shouting, goodbye, Freddie Mercury. And so one of them would shouting something like, we thought you were shit when you were alive, but now that you are dead, we realise you were great. Brilliant. That was spot on. That, yeah, really absolutely. Is. that summed it up, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and I think Freddie Mercury's death was one of the first occasions of people going, Oh, actually, you know, he's great. I think someone like Phil Collins, you see it now with Phil Collins, who's still alive, yeah, yeah, that he was just loathed by the music mm. press of the 80s, yeah. just contempt for him. But now, you know, he's like an actual legend of rock, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Aye. Yeah. It's like if you but, survive long enough, you eventually become. You're hated at the start. You eventually become loved if you hang around long enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless you're Roger Waters. Unless you're Roger Waters. <laughs> even, nobody loves Roger Waters, man. No one does. <laughs> Not even Roger Waters. <laughs> no, he hates himself, man. <clears throat> oh, God. So are you, are you, David, are you, um, obviously the Ricky's Handbook is is, is out now, and um, are you are you working in any, any more uh, novels? I'm trying, well, I keep writing books that don't get published, so I'm still trying to get books published. Got a radio series on in a while. Been doing bits here and there, as they say. But yeah, I'd like to get more books. I like writing books. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. But we're actually yeah, just well, talking about that, David. Like you and Paul. I'm, I'm I'm going to get the the book you were talking about, David. No, I hope you like it. And I, um, but no, you will. The, you will. The, two, 
David and Paul were saying that you've, you've got a kind of like a sci-fi sort of horror tinge to some some of your stuff. Are you a fan yeah. of that sort of thing? I really love not horror so much. I saw a review of one of my books on Amazon, which basically said he doesn't really like horror. He doesn't like killing people. He's a bit squeamish. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so I keep having to invent horrible deaths. But uh, <laughs> yeah, in in Ricky's hand, people explode a lot, which I enjoy. <laughs> Explosions are fun. I'm sold. No, I just had some <laughs> ideas. It's just when you have an idea, it's like where it goes. And mm-hmm. so I had an idea that was like a horror novel. So it was a horror novel. And Ricky's hand has to be is a science fiction novel, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm just trying to write different things. I'm not really, I'm definitely not a literary novelist. You know, I'm not one of those people who can write about two people sitting in a room and having feelings for an hour. <laughs> oh, who wants yeah. to read that anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I might win a prize. <laughs> but have you you've you've uh, you've you've written a movie, haven't you, David? Have you not? Yeah, I wrote a rom com. Rom com, yeah. yeah. A book, book of love. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that was yeah. That was fun, and yeah, that was just that was great actually because the idea was really clear and it was funny and it's done all right. It's been on Amazon Prime and things like that. I'm just really happy about that because I love, I love rom coms, but I love ninety, I love old screwball comedies, black and white comedies, where men and women get on very badly and then get married at the end. Just <laughs> yeah, that yeah. kind of era yeah. of comedy I mean, yeah. is fantastic to me. And trying to do the modern equivalent is a lot of fun. I like funny. I don't like comedies where people just make faces at each other. Mm-hmm. Or improvise a lot, or ironic. I like comedies where two people get on very badly, and are, so I loved working on the thick of it and beat because it was just the dialogue was so offensive. Oh, yeah. absolutely, but <laughs> <Really> brilliant, <laughs> rude, unpleasant put downs, and it was great writing that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So uh, talking talking about the thick of it, um, you're not responsible then for the the all the Queen references and it. Are there Queen references? No, I'm not. No, because we thought maybe you were. Yeah, there's no, sorry. There's uh, about four or five references to Queen, couple for John Deacon, one for Freddie, and one for uh, Queen and with with Roger uh, Roger Waters, (laughs) Paul Paul Rogers. Rogers, Um, You're kidding me. Yeah, that is amazing. I I mean, I would never dare to do that. I would never (laughs) dare to put a reference as that. Yeah. Cool. It's like that. Oh, this, oh is, God. this is the, the what's the line that's like this is like when uh, Freddie died and Queen got Paul Rogers in. <laughs> you know, I mean uh, when this when this goes out, I'm gonna ask the people I know on the show who might be the Queen fan. Yeah. Excellent. All the references come from the same actor. I can't remember his name, the guy that does Phil. So I'm wondering right. if, wondering Peter if Manions, it's him. Uh, right, so Peter it's Manions, thing. Yeah. yeah. So what, his wonder character noticed that, but yeah, there must yeah. be. So, so I'm wondering if it's that actor himself, because I know the actors ad-libbed sometimes, didn't they? And, Could be. Could yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh-huh. interesting just that, you know, it's a, you know, I, I, we, we all love the show and, you know, just see, just see Queen mentioned in it. It's, it's just brilliant, you know. Yeah. Even if it was in a bad way, it would still be great. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. like, like a lot, uh, well, not like a lot of Queen fans to be can laugh at Queen. You know, <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot to laugh. There's at. a lot to laugh at. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, but uh, so, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. 
So, so I, I just kind of bore you more about the thick of it. Um, what, what, so was it like whole episodes you would write, or was it just like ideas, or? No, I came in it. I came in at the end, and it was weird because the thick of it had been mostly one-off specials. Mm-hmm. But the final series was a real series. It was the one where you know Malcolm gets his comeuppance, yeah. and everything's going wrong. And I think they wanted to inject a bit more. They put on a lot of new writers for that particular season, and I was lucky enough to be one. And yeah, it was an amazing. It was an amazing experience because writing stuff normally is just okay, but sitting in this room, which was in the old TV centre, with people like Peter Capaldi sat there reading and laughing. There's a thing I wrote. I don't think you're supposed to claim credit for your own bits, but I wrote a bit where Malcolm Tucker talks to Ollie, Chris Addison's character, and pretends he's never heard of Star Wars. Oh, so superb. Love that. Yeah, the the hairdresser and (laughs) shagging his sister. and That one. And the fact you know the words, it means a lot to me. Yeah. I was there. Brilliant. Absolute gold, man. Gold. Oh, thank you. And I was there for the read-through when they read it, and Peter Capaldi is laughing. And I think that's probably the high point of my comedy career, being in the room <laughs> when he's saying all that stuff about the space hairdresser and he's fucking fucking sis and all that stuff. <laughs> and it's a, it's a brilliant... My favourite bit in it is, is, is the difference between writers and actresses that I wrote. With the way that it's acted, the bit when um, Malcolm says, where Chris Addison, the penny drops, he goes, Star Wars in this disgusting, weird, and, and Michael Tucker goes, that's it. And he knows, and I've seen people on the comments debating whether Malcolm Tucker knows. In my head, he's just forgotten the name. <laughs> For a minute, he's just forgotten the name, and also he hates Ollie, and he hates Star Wars. <laughs> he just, that what he, to hate? And they're all made of Lego. It's just... That's, that, that's the moment when it just makes no sense. The moment when Ollie realizes what he's talking about is when he says they're all made of Lego. So, yeah, I'm blowing my own trumpet. That was oh, no, oh, please do it. Pedal, pedal bin as well. That's and the pedal bin, but that's I mean, that's from that's from the heart because I don't hate Star Wars, but I hate the whole culture of Star Wars, yeah, and, me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally fandom. You go into Tesco and it's like 8 million fucking Stormtrooper T-shirts and, you know, Darth Vader mugs and little kids being forced to watch it at gunpoint. (laughs) I wrote this rant in my head when I was walking the dog once. And the whole thing just came out and I thought I could use this because there's a scene coming up, you know, there's a scene where Malcolm has to persuade Ollie and I just thought, what if he used the Star Wars metaphor? Because Ollie just seemed like the kind of twat who would really love Star Wars. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> totally, aye. Yeah, it was the same, was... same even the, the, the Phil character, we you know you're saying about the Queen lines, he would be like, he would be like a Queen fan, you know, he was, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he is like the Queen fan. So that would make sense. <laughs> yeah. what, what's the stereotypes of Queen fans for you? Oh. It's hard. It's, it's changed, actually. It well, used to be, a, it used us, to be yeah, one thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, but now it's uh, something for us, else. Be- before we started this podcast, we saw Queen Fat. We we thought it was only us three that really kind of saw through the sh- saw the shit and saw the you know, yeah. and knew they were a flawed band and and all this. You know, I mean, they knew it wasn't just us three, but you know what I mean. So we started it and we started being critical of them, and people started to kind of interact with us. We realised actually, there's a lot of Queen fans are like us. They actually <laughs> can can slag them off, can see through see the shit, and 
and have the debate on the whole thing and the, the, the decision making in the band, you know, Sun City, etc. Um, but you, you, I think it's like any band, any massive band, you get your fanatics that can't see any wrong and, and just can't, you know, everything they do is brilliant. I'll buy everything they release. And, you know, then there's Queen fans that will probably seen them, you know, you, you know, maybe even in the 70s, 80s. They'll probably still go and see them with Adam Lambert and and buy everything and do all that kind of stuff. And uh, to me, that's just there's no quality control in that at all. That's just that's no. just a weird fanaticism that is just so bizarre. So I think there's a lot of Queen fans like that, but it, it, but equally, I think that's the same for any band, you know. Um, like, you know that, that that's huge, you know, like that. It's like the it's like the we talk about sometimes. It's like the the Tesco Queen fan. But it's like they're walking along and they see all the, the hits now CDs and shit. And they're like, oh, the new yeah, Queen album. Put it in, the, yeah, put it in the basket along with our along with our mints and our bananas. And, like, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aye, that that sort of thing. Aye, it's like because uh, I think when you were even saying about the Star Wars thing, you go into Tesco and you see it everywhere. Aye, same shit. Same with Queen. It's like you know you do see it everywhere. It is Queen Queen's you know imagery is is aye. everywhere. You know, and then if you, I get it. If you're not any queen, that must really fucking great. Aye, I <laughs> absolutely. Know, everywhere, you know, I'd be like walking in and seeing Pete Doherty on everything, man. You would just be like, <laughs> I fucking hate just... that. I hate that guy anyway, but that would just heighten the the yeah, rage. I can see where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, it's fasc- I mean, it's fascinating about Queen. It's just that there are people who are just massive, and that's it. We mentioned Ed Sheeran. You know, there's loads of pop acts. And there's nothing else. There's nothing to it. You know, Ed Sheeran is Ed Sheeran. And you go around the back, there isn't anything. There's the yeah. back of Ed Sheeran. There's his arse. <laughs> With Queen, you go around the you go you, you go around the back of Queen, and there's loads of things, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. There's the first album, there's Seven Seas of Rye, there's Smile, there's Freddie Mercury's childhood when he's Freddie Bulsara, you know. There's the yeah. four members of them. There's the Adam. I mean, you know, but it's like there's so that's one thing I will always find interesting about a band like Queen that there is so much to the story. Yeah, there are so many different layers, and I suppose that produces different fans. Yeah, totally. I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, us uh, guys, you know, we've talked a little bit about you know metal and punk and hardcore and things like that. You know, that's that's where you know we like variety of music, but that's kind of where where we're coming from. You know, we like the, but we love the love the pop stuff when it's done well. You know, and it's yeah, and it's totally. well crafted. Um, and I think that's Queen Queen, Queen were all, all for all three of us are our, our entry level band. You know, yeah. um, the first serious band we all get into, and it's just stayed with us ever since. And it and it actually allowed us to go and explore uh, different. We, yeah. we feel we believe that's the reason why we kind of explore different types of music was through listening to Queen. And I think probably much the way that someone listened to the Beatles would allow them to go and explore and and um you know you know before. So that's kind of that's that's how we see it. You know, um, I think a lot I think a lot of people think Queen fans are close minded, and maybe they are close minded fans. I don't know, but um, but certainly not us. I mean, we. I I think I think we've spoken about this before. I mean, even go back to like the seventies era Queen stuff. Queen couldn't have been an e- they weren't an easy band to to really like when you think about it, right? Because mm-hmm. like the the, the the like what David was saying there, you've got like really like you know by the time you get to like um, the Killer Queen, which is really a shiny, well crafted pop song, you've got Stone Cold Crazy in the same record, which is like fucking thrash metal in nineteen seventy three. You know, yeah. so it's like that's mm. ex- that's extreme, really extreme, and then the next song's Killer Queen. So that the I'd love to know what the mindset of a fan, a Queen fan, then was because that's a lot to ask somebody to get into. Do you know what I mean? Those mm. two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. 
it'd be quite a challenge, a quite a challenging band, I think. Which I, I don't think, think they get credit for. It would be that then Queen would have had a young audience, and when you're young, you're a lot more open. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's the same point. as us. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's the same as us. I mean, yeah, that, that album might have been the first one that somebody bought, and they put nothing into it. You know, it's like yeah. first yeah. albums I bought were Tubular Bells and Dark Side of the Moon. I had nothing to compare them to. Yeah, yeah. no, you're completely right. Yeah, Apart from, you know, Jeff loves movie themes. That was the other record I had. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, yeah, right. so you listen to it, and it's like, well, you like it, and you just assume, oh, yeah, all rec- albums. And then you hear, I don't know, Black Sabbath, you're like, oh, all these songs are the same. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can pick, that's, that's interesting because you can pick, like you were saying, if you like Queen, you're more susceptible to liking all different types of genres and being open to them rather than, although I love Black Sabbath, but you're right, uh, you know, if your your base entry band was Black Sabbath, you're, it's one thing, kind of, so it'd be kind of kind of hard to, to maybe appreciate you, I, things that are less I, And that's the thing, I, I, I personally, you know, can only speak for myself here, but that's the reason why I'm still wanting to find out more about bands that existed 40 years ago yeah, 40 plus totally. years ago I'm, I'm wanting to, I, what have I missed here I need to go back I need to find you know and I'll get recommendations and things like that some will hit some won't but um, and I, I I put that all down to that early kind of that entry level you yep. know of, of listening because it was all when I when, when it was, this was Paul you know Paul's my older brother um, he he started buying the albums it was all the 70s albums so when I was I was a kid it was all that it wasn't a kind of magic and all this stuff so I was getting the kind of good stuff very early on, and it kind of right. really kind of certainly for myself and Joe's the same. So it's yeah, yep, yep, it's, totally. But yeah, they're an easy target though. They are. We know that. We know that they're a very oh, easy aye. target. You know, absolutely. So, and and, and oh, yeah. we, you know, and we we have we have take, taken a few shots at that target. You know, more than a few <laughs> we, shots. We, we, we have we have pissed off a lot of people, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good though. I mean, because this could be a very boring podcast given the chance with the yeah, subject matter. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a problem. Why uh, there is a lot of podcasts out there that just you know like uh, whatever bands you know they just kiss their ass no matter what. And that what's the fucking point? In that you know it's, it's not really being honest to yourself. I don't think anybody you were saying you're a Bowie fan. Probably you know I could guess that you don't like everything that he ever did. Do you know what I mean? There'll probably be things no. that you don't like. Do you know what I mean? But that makes it interesting. No, I mean fandom is weird, and um, but sometimes you just have to accept that things aren't good. Yeah, totally. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. yeah. Otherwise, that means you can't tell the difference. You know, means you can't tell the difference between the good stuff and the bad stuff. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Did you like Tin Machine? I saw them live. It was a good night out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I try and like them more. Got a lot of time for that album. <laughs> yeah. It's got, it's got a lot of moments on it. I mean, yeah. it was slightly telling that when me and my friend went, the song we liked best was a cover version of Maggie's Farm. <laughs> like, okay, maybe the other stuff, is, but that was that was very weird to be honest. I can understand why you did it. That was cleansing the palate after making all the pop records in the 80s. <laughs> it felt a bit like that, yeah. yeah. Dip, try, dip try, try we had to listen to it. That was the issue. Try claw back a bit of credibility, maybe. Um, but see, that did you like the was it the Earthling album that you did? The, the kind of drumming, yeah, bass I do. Song? I like that stuff, yeah. I like that one, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was one weird thing is like as a I call myself a fan, but I forget that for that whole, for a really big chunk from about the mid '80s to the mid '90s, I didn't listen to David Bowie. Yeah, I loved it, but I just couldn't be bothered, and I had to go back. Yeah, and I yeah. swear that I went to a big festival, a Phoenix festival in the '90s, oh. and David Bowie was playing, and we all walked past the stage, and oh, it's David Bowie, and put uh, you think now it's like oh, Heritage Rock Legends. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, he just I- walked past David Bowie yeah. doing his set. 
Yeah, it's weird. Hi. I actually recorded, uh, I had that recorded off TV, it must have been Channel 4 or something, the Phoenix Festival. Uh, was that, was that the one they got hit with the lollipop in the eye? No, that no, was the reality tour. That was um, uh, yeah, but last tour two thousand three or something. So ah, two, all right, yeah. I, I, that's there's actual video of that. It looks fucking yeah, sore, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> well, on that note, I think maybe uh, listen, <laughs> we'll probably set you free now, David, because we could probably talk all right about all sorts of nonsense and uh, well, it's not nonsense to us certainly anyway. But uh, but David, thanks very much. I really, I really Thank appreciate you. your time. Really nice time. Very much enjoyed talking about Queen a lot more than I thought I would. So that's good. And well, and your awards at the back there. I mean, congratulations on the award. Congratulations. Yeah, because see, another good tip in life: if you've got a mantelpiece and some awards, it's really useful to have them behind you. Absolutely. We were interviewing Fred Mandel, who played with Queen as a session musician, played with John as well. And when he came on, he that was gold disc behind them it's just no. brilliant oh. love it <laughs> I never understand it when people go oh I got an Oscar I keep it in the toilet it's like what the fuck would you do that for exactly. that's a lot of shite that that's that's a lot yeah. of shite I get rid of an Oscar it would just be there <laughs> in everyday life it would just be on a, on a steel pole <laughs> I'd have it on a little train track going round and round the screen absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> oh well thanks that, thank you very seriously. much thank you thank David you, that, that's, I've, I've really had a lot of fun and um, I totally man uh, and, and again keep up the good work and, and you know we'll keep reading your, your stuff and, um, and and you know checking out anything that, that that's on TV or film so um, so thanks again and um, thank been, you I look forward to hearing this again brilliant excellent Cheers, thanks, David. have a good evening you well, too take care thank you bye 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 bye